The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning. Uh, the reading from today comes from Luke chapter 7, verse uh, 36 through 50. Um, You can follow along with the Bibles under your chairs, or it'll be up on your screen. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask with ointment. And standing beside him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to them, You have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? She entered your house. You gave me no water uh, for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears, and she's wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But But he who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We're in the middle of a series uh, called The Cross and Crown, the Gospel of Luke. So we're working through uh, the Gospel of Luke, which is the story of Jesus. And uh, we're in chapter 7 today. And there's a, there's, man, there's just a lot in chapter 7. And we cannot cover it all this morning. So we're just taking chapter verses 36 through 50 this morning, but I would encourage you through the week, amen, pull out Luke 7 and just read it a few times and ask yourself this question. This is the question that we should be asking when we study the Bible anyway. It's not like, like God, how, what do I, like, we often ask the wrong questions about in Bible study anyway, but ask this question. Ask what does this passage tell me about Jesus? What does this passage tell me about the nature and character of Jesus and how that shows me the nature and character of God and who he is? There's some amazing stuff in here. And we're looking at verses 36 through verses 50, and it's a really cool passage. Have you ever had a party or a dinner that didn't, that like you put a lot of planning into it, but it, it didn't quite go like you planned. Uh, like maybe your husband's, you know, old college roommate 
was there and he had a few too many pre-dinner drinks and things just kind of get weird and they kind of progressively get weirder as the night goes on. Or, or your sister makes the mistake and brings up politics in front of your uncle, like the uncle that you know, you just don't mention certain things to him because the, the, and the rest of the night just went like, it went a totally different direction. It went anti-Pinterest, like all the Pinterest ideas that you have of the perfect party and what this is going to look like and what, what you see on Facebook, like, oh man, everybody lives such a beautiful life. Their dinner parties are full of like beautiful people who have interesting, sparkling conversation and you look at yours and like the turkey doesn't quite look like it's supposed to and the conversation goes haywire and it just, just doesn't end up like you had hoped it was going to end up. That's the way like this night goes for Simon. Now, this is Simon the Pharisee. It's kind of confusing because there's multiple Simons in the Gospel of Luke, and that's because it was a common name. Jesus had two disciples named Simon, so it's already confusing. This guy's named Simon. He's a Pharisee, so he's a religious leader. And he decides he's going to throw a party. Because, and we don't, it doesn't tell us how this happened, but we know he had had some sort of interaction with Jesus. He had been out and heard him speak. Maybe had some conversations with him, some tit for tat back and forth because the Pharisees were always grilling Jesus about the, this sermon that he just had, this teaching that he just gave, this miracle that he just performed. And Simon, different than some of the other Pharisees around him who like, didn't like Jesus right off the bat, we have already saw a couple weeks ago how they were already like, starting to try to figure out, like, hey, we got to get rid of this guy. This guy's going to be a threat to us. We don't like him. He's not teaching the right things. He's not believing the right things. we got to move him out of here. He's getting too popular. Now, this guy, Simon, something's different about him than the other Pharisees. I see your Cubs thing. I just want to acknowledge, like, just shining out from the, the crowd. We're all Cubs fans now, apparently. I've never seen a team so popular now. Everybody, I don't know if they were always pulling for them or they just started pulling for them now, but uh, bandwagoners. But anyway, awesome. Go Cubbies. Uh, <laughs> this is an interesting fact. This is not related to my sermon at all either, but I saw that the, the Cubs celebration became, I think, the fifth largest gathering of human beings in the history of the world. Can you imagine that? Now, that's, that's a headline. The bigger headline to me is the event it displaced, that it moved to sixth place, is a Rod Stewart concert in Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> to me, that was the bigger headline. How did two million people come out to listen to Rod Stewart sing? I don't understand. In Brazil, they have a different taste in music than I do, but I'm really digressing now. Simon the Pharisee had some sort of interaction with Jesus, and the other Pharisees didn't like him, but he saw something that intrigued him about Jesus. And so he wants to hear more about this, and so he says, Jesus, come to my house. We're going to have a dinner tonight in your honor. Now, that was a very big deal. So if you had a, a dinner party or a dinner in someone's honor, it was a very big deal. You, you welcome this person, this honored guest, as an honored guest. There are certain uh, things that you would do for him. You would put him at a special place at the table. You would cater to him. You'd bring all your friends in. And what would usually happen is you would have a meal together. And then after the dinner, uh, you would field questions or have sort of a, a philosophical discussion that would be uh, wanting to hear what your host, your honored guest, had to say. And oftentimes, it, you as a host, even if you had different opinions, you would sort of defer to your honored guests because that's what you did in the society. So he invites Jesus over to have this dinner. He wants to hear more about him. Now, he as a Pharisee was a very religious man. 
He was very well respected. Uh, we see from this party he was probably fairly wealthy or at least very comfortably well off because he was able to host this kind of party and uh, hold the amount of people his house was holding. So he, he, has, the, he has it in. And then it, as a Pharisee, he would be not only really smart, but he'd be incredibly educated and religious in his lifestyle. Uh, most Pharisees had the Old Testament. We call the Old Testament now. It's just the Bible then. They had the Old Testament memorized, the whole thing. Uh, they had the whole thing memorized, and then they were very careful to follow all the rules that were laid down in the Old Testament. So anytime that you gave them a dollar, they would tithe 10 cents off to the church. If you gave them anything, if you gave them a carton of eggs, they would give off a tenth. I guess they would have to give away Two of them, I don't know if they did dozens of the times. They'd, they'd give away a tenth of everything they got. Anytime you gave them anything, they'd give a tenth of that to make sure they weren't breaking any rules. He was a religious man, he was a wealthy man, he was an educated man, and he was a holy man. So he's on this party, and Jesus is in there, and the way that it worked at the time, and I like to get back to this quite honestly, because uh, it seems like a pretty chill thing to do, even though they say it's not good for your digestion. They would be around a table, and they would recline at the table. And what that looked like is you would generally lay on your, like, your, left, uh, your left elbow, and you would eat with your right, kind of leaning against the table, and your feet would be stretched away from the table. Because for multiple reasons, that's just the way they did it at the time. Also because feet were considered very dirty. Uh, there, feet were, you, you never like, uh, some of you like have issues with feet. You don't want to see them or touch them. You know, I understand that. But like then it was a, it was a really big deal. That feet were considered like such a, like a, such a dirty, like taboo kind of issue that there were only, only certain types of servants that you could actually make wash your feet if you're a wealthy person. Only certain types of servants. So Jesus is sitting there at the table and he's eating. Now these houses, weren't, they're not like ours, like all, you know, where we have blinds and doors closed and you have your own thing away from this tree, but they would be open kind of deals. And people, pastors by when they saw like a big party like this could stop and look in on the party, like, wow, wouldn't it be cool to be invited there? Though I'm not, you know, with a sad expression outside. But this lady comes up who had a, uh, interaction with Jesus before, and we'll get to how we know that later. This lady had a personal interaction with Jesus, and she comes in to the group. Now, this would be a very big deal for her to come into the group for multiple reasons. One is she's a woman, and a woman was not supposed to come in to these kind of events to, if she's not invited. And a woman would mostly just be serving there anyway. And secondly, not, it's not uh, kosher, no pun intended, because she is not, uh, she is, uh, not invited to come into the room. And then thirdly, it's not a cool deal because she is what they call a sinner. The wording that it uses there is that she was well known in the village as a sinner. You know what that means? She's a prostitute. She's a woman of the night, woman of the street, and everybody knew it. Now this gets scandalous if you really think about it. She comes in and she makes her way to Jesus and he's sitting there having this conversation, eating his meal. And she doesn't disturb him to his face. She comes and sits at his feet. And she starts to cry. She has no basin to wash his feet. She starts to cry. And it says that her tears wet his feet. And then she took her hair and dried his feet or washed, wiped his feet and dried them with her own hair. It's kind of a gross thing if you think about it. Kind of a weird thing. 
but it would be a scandalous thing at the time. Now, let, let's just picture, like, take it out of the Bible time, just think about us sitting around the table in a restaurant. It's the, the visiting preachers in town, and we take them out afterwards. And some lady comes in, a lady of ill repute, and she takes his feet, his shoes and socks off his feet and starts to wash them with her hair, wipe them. It says that she's kissing his feet, then anointing them with oil. Which, by the way, you, you normally would, you would, which is the oil there, this ointment, this perfumed oil was very costly, number one. Number two, you would usually anoint someone's head with it. But she anoints his feet instead. It's very erotic and sensual. A woman would not let her hair down in public in this time. It would be considered the equivalent of a woman taking her top off. It was not done. So you had this prostitute at the feet of Jesus, the single guy, who takes her hair down, washes his feet, kisses them, and then takes probably perhaps the most costly thing she owns, which is this, oint, this vial, alabaster vial of ointment, of perfumed oil, breaks it so there's no going back, and anoints his feet with it. Now, Simon does what you and I would do. He's sitting to the side, and he says, all right, Jesus, this guy said some interesting things. I wanted to know more. But kind of, I know all I need to know right now. Because if this man was a prophet, if he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is that's doing this to his feet. And the question is, why did Jesus allow this to occur? It's an extravagant, erotic display, or seemingly erotic from the outside. And yet he lets it go on. Why would he do that? It's, she's wasting money pouring this ointment on him. It's demeaning to her. She's a sinner. She shouldn't be there. I would be thinking if I was in his place, even if I was having the purest thoughts possible, I would think, I don't want these people to think that something's going on between her and me. And I would shun her. But Jesus welcomes her. We're going to see four things because Jesus thinks in a different way than we do. And he lays out in this passage four things that run counter to the way that we think. He covers what is the great problem, what is the greater problem, the extravagant solution, and the lavish response. He covers the great problem, the greater problem, the extravagant solution, and the lavish response. First of all, we see that Jesus and Simon agree on something. But it's not what most of us would tend, what Simon sees to be the problem here and what Jesus sees to be the problem here are the same thing. Simon says, if he knew what kind of woman this was, he wouldn't let this go on because she's a sinner And Jesus acknowledges that that's a problem as well. But it's not what you and I tend to see as the big problem. 
Now in church, like we all know the Sunday school answer, right? Like if you grew up in church or around church, the Sunday school answer to every question in church, if somebody asks you something, is, is the answer is what? Jesus, right? Like that's like we, we all know the, the right answers in church that we, that we answer. But if, if, if I, or maybe not me, but somebody were to run across you in your office or at home or just casually hanging out and say, hey, what's your biggest problem? What's your biggest issue in life? I, I would come up with a lot of different answers. What is most needed? In fact, if you saw this woman, this woman of the street, this woman of ill repute, and this great religious man sitting in here in this room with Jesus, what would you think that they most need? Would you think, hey, this woman needs a, a new career? So she needs some training? This woman might need some money to help her like, get by until she gets her new career underway and she can get her feet underneath her. You might think Simon, like, you know, he's a good religious guy. He doesn't quite understand why Jesus came. He needs some clarity on why Jesus is here. He needs some teaching. He needs some training. Maybe Simon, he's a rich man and he sees this woman and he wants to shun her. Maybe he should be more charitable. That's what's really needed in this situation. But Jesus agrees with Simon here that the problem was sin. The problem was This woman was a sinner. And the problem with you and me is that we are sinners. That's our great problem. No matter what you would have answered to somebody asking you, what is your biggest issue? What is your biggest problem? Our biggest problem is that we are sinners. And that's why this world system doesn't work like it's supposed to work. That's why your relationships don't work like they're supposed to work. They're always going sideways. That's why your career doesn't always work like your relationship with your career. You can never get it quite uh, correctly balanced because sin is the problem. It's broken the way that we think about things in such a way that it mars the good things that God has created and causes us to turn them around into bad things. That's why your marriage or your relationship with the opposite sex doesn't work like it's supposed to work all the time. Your parenting skills don't always work the way they're supposed to work. It's going sideways. It's the, the reason that our relationship with food and sex are, don't quite work the way they're supposed to work. Our great problem is that we are sinners. At the core of who we are, we are separated from the one for whom we're created, the one who's supposed to be the center of our lives and therefore set the the way that everything else flows out from it. That's wrong, and so therefore, everything else underneath it is wrong. Like a cascading fountain, the very tip of it is wrong, and that creates, or is polluted, and that creates pollution all down the rest of the fountain. That's our great problem. It's that by our very nature, we are rebels against God. We want to do things our own way. We want to build ourselves as the center of our world. That's the great problem. The great problem is sin. That's the great problem in this situation, and it's your problem. The great problem is our great problem. The great problem of sin is my. That's my great problem. The great problem with sin is your great problem as well. So we see that Simon recognized the problem of sin, but we see the greater problem that he missed. He misses the greater problem here. And that's the fact, not that he sees the problem that sin is the problem that's separating this woman, but what he misses is that he is a sinner himself. The greater problem is that Simon didn't see himself as a great sinner. The woman was a great sinner. 
We're gonna see Jesus acknowledge in a second she was a greater sinner than Simon. Jesus acknowledges that. She's in a bad state. But yet, even though she was a greater sinner, Simon was in the greater trouble by far. See, Simon recognized that there was something different in Jesus. That's why he invites him to his house. It was a very unpopular thing to do among his colleagues. It would have set him apart. Hey, why are you messing around with that Jesus guy? He's our public enemy number one right now. He invited him over when none of his colleagues would. Afterwards, as Jesus becomes more and more famous, he could tell people, Jesus, this famous Jesus, he dined at my house. But that was not enough. He was physically close to Jesus in this room. He saw something in Jesus that caused him to invite him to his house and ask him questions. But that closeness actually made Jesus further away from Simon than anybody else in the room. This woman who was a great sinner, a greater sinner than Simon, was closer to Jesus than he was. And that's why Jesus says when Simon's thinking this thing like, hey, if this man was really a prophet, he wouldn't let this woman continue in this. Jesus says, hey, Simon, I have a story for you. Now, if you hung out with Jesus, he should have known you're always in trouble when Jesus says, I have a story for you. Same, same, same thing when I, when I hung out with my, with my granddad. When my granddad had a story for me, it was always trouble in two ways. One is I was probably in trouble, and secondly, I, I should find a seat. It's going to take a while. For, Jesus' stories are short. My grandfather's stories are long. They're sort of like my stories. And Jesus says, I have a story for you. There are two people that owed a man a great debt. He said, one of these guys owed this man a debt of 50 denarii, which would be the equivalent of, of a denarii was about a day's wage. So depending on what you consider a day's wage, let's, let's just say it's six, $7,000. Six, $7,000. 50 days wages, 50 denarii he, denarii he owed him, six, $7,000. The other one, he says, owed 500 denarii. That'd be the equivalent of, if we're going with six, $7,000, of $60,000, $70,000 he owes this man. And what it says here that's key is it says that neither of them could repay the debt, Neither of them could repay the debt, neither the $6,000 debt nor the $60,000 debt. So Jesus says, what this guy did, though, is he forgave both of those debts. He canceled them. And he said, Simon, tell me this. Which of those dudes are going to love the one that they owed the money to more? And Simon, it feels like a reluctant answer. He says, well, I suppose the one who was forgiven the greater debt. And Jesus says, you've answered well. Because those who have been forgiven much, love much. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. Simon's problem wasn't that he didn't know he was a sinner. As a Jew, he would have known he was a sinner. He would work as hard as he could not to sin, but then he would make sacrifices to cover the gap between his obedience and God's holiness that he could never match. He knew he was a sinner. The problem was he just didn't think he was a great sinner. He thought that 
well, maybe I'm just not that bad. I do everything as good as I possibly can, and because I'm doing everything as good as I possibly can, God will help me out in the rest. He'll either wink an eye to it, or he'll, you know, I can say I'm sorry enough, or you know, cross my chest enough, or do enough good things, I can show up at church enough, or put enough in the offering plate to make up for that gap between me and him, or God would just kind of close his eyes and wink. Or he thought that maybe I just needed to know more, I'm asking Jesus over because I want to know this. He seems to know some cool things and know some stuff about God that I don't know. And so I need to know more. There are many Christians, probably in this room, including me, who we oftentimes confuse knowing more about God with being holy. And so we fill up our mind with all kinds of knowledge, yet without growing in the holiness of all. That's another story. Maybe he thought that he could be sorry enough hey, whenever I do the wrong thing, I I pass by that girl and I look back or I don't turn the channel as quickly as I should away from that station or I I participate in that gossip or uh, I did lie, but, you know, it was pretty bad or not too bad. I feel kind of bad about it. So I can feel bad enough about it that God will say, okay, if you feel bad about it, it's okay. And, And many of us in this room practice that, whether you're a Christian or not. If you have some sort of sense of the holiness of God, you say, hey, I messed up this morning. Uh, if I feel bad about it for, a, you know, the rest of today, we don't really think through it this way because it would not make logical sense perhaps, but it's the way that we live our lives. If I feel sorry about it for the rest of today and maybe tomorrow, then I'll be okay. I've kind of paid my penance. I hold my head down and feel bad about myself. And then after that, like, I feel like my debt's paid. I'm cool on the other side. Or maybe Simon thought that he could offset, he could do enough to offset the wrong that he had done. Okay, I did that, that was bad, but if I do this good stuff, it will outweigh the bad stuff. Either the equal amount or whatever kind of formula we come up, come up, come up in our head, like I did this one bad thing, I gotta go these, do these 10 good things and then I'm okay. But the problem the way Jesus sees the problem is different than the way Simon sees the problem, is in this parable, both of the people are debtors. And it's very clear that Simon is the one with the $6,000 debt and the woman who's unnamed is the one with the $60,000 debt. She owes more than Simon does, but they are both debtors and neither can pay. In my business, I search titles and there's a lot of liability involved. And we have to cover insurance up to a million dollars to, you know, cover ourselves. But there's, you know, any number of deals that we deal with that are way more than a million dollars. And I've often thought, like, if, I, if we mess up and somebody snap, slaps a $5 million judgment upon me, it may as well be $500 billion gazillion dollars. Because they're going to have just as good a chance to get the five million out of me as they will to get five hundred gabillion zillion quadrillion dollars out of me. You know the whole thing like you can't get blood out of turnip, but that's the situation that all of us are in. You may be a good person and have lived a great life, but it doesn't matter if you can't pay the debt that gets you the rest of the way home. You could be really, really bad or really, really good, but there's a chasm between you and me and the holiness of God that cannot be matched. They are both out of reach, whether it's 6,000 or 60,000 or whether it's $6 million or $60 million, the 
the distance between me and the holiness and goodness of God is immeasurable. The scripture says, if you have broken one small law, you've broken all of them. So there's certain ones that I don't have problems with. I don't usually have a problem with being tempted to steal. I don't usually have a problem with uh, being tempted, though there are times, obviously, but it's not a huge issue for me to cover up my neighbor's house. Well, there's some others in there that trip me up. They're the ones that get me. And what scripture says, if I fail in just one, in the slightest bit, I may as well have failed in all of them because it's out of reach. I cannot pay the debt. The great problem Simon and Jesus agreed on, the great er problem Simon was oblivious to, but then we see what the woman saw, which was the extravagant solution. We see this woman at the feet of Jesus lavishing her love and her gratefulness on Jesus in such an extravagant and over-the-top way. I mean, if nothing else happened in this party, if you were there at this dinner party, you would remember the rest of your life, hey, remember when that teacher came to town and Simon invited him over and the prostitute came and washed his feet and kissed it and anointed it with expensive oil? Do you remember that time? It would, st- it would have stood out to them. The guys would be like, oh, well, we know what she and Jesus are doing behind the scenes because, you know, that's his feet. And if she's doing that to his feet, who knows what else are they doing behind closed tent doors? It's extravagant. It's over the top. But all that she's doing is responding in kind to the way that Jesus had responded had initiated towards her. Jesus had lavished grace and forgiveness upon her. We don't know the story of how it happened, but we know some of the other stories of Jesus, what it kind of looked like. Whether she just heard him from afar or had some interaction with him, We see him with the woman who's accused of adultery and the men are gathering around her and to do what the Bible says to do, that is to stone the sinning woman and he walks up into the middle of it, writes something on the ground and then tells the people who had the stones in their hand, let he who was without sin cast the first stone. They all go away and he turns to her, a sinning woman and says, your sins are forgiven Go in peace, which is what he says to this woman at the end here. He had lavished at some point grace extravagantly upon her when she did not deserve it. He had lavished forgiveness upon her when she had no way to pay the debt. And the difference between her and Simon is that she got it. She realized it. There was a debt I could not pay and Jesus stepped in and he has forgiven me. He has poured his grace upon me in a lavish, extravagant, unmerited way and all that she could do is to respond in a lavish, extravagant way back to her. He saw where she was. He didn't, this is the thing with Jesus, he didn't pull any punches with her about where she was in her sin. He didn't come to any sinner and say, oh, it's not that bad, don't worry about it. He called sin, sin, but he said, 
He said, go and sin no more, but he did say, your sins are forgiven. Now go in peace. And how could he do that? How could he say, go in, in peace, your sins are forgiven, because we see this, this debt between where we are and where God is, and that's because he was pointing forward to where he would pay the debt that she could not pay, or he would pay the debt where, that Simon couldn't pay, and he didn't realize that he'd pay the debt that you and I could not pay, and we did not realize it at the time he has stood in that gap on the cross for us. He pulled no punches about sin. The cross is the most stark declaration of the evil of sin that there is, but yet is also the starkest declaration of the extravagant, over-the-top, lavish grace and mercy that he has poured out upon us to forgive us of our debt, of our sin. He loved her enough to meet her where she was, but he loved her enough not to leave her there. He loved her enough to give her a lasting hope and a new, a new life. We don't have that initial interaction of the woman, how that happened. We see how it was different between the way she responded and Simon responded. And there's a world of difference there. Simon, the religious leader, was intrigued by Jesus. The woman was forgiven. There's some of us in this room, we are intrigued by Jesus. We're interested in him but there's a world difference between being intrigued and being forgiven. Simon wanted to be around Jesus, or rather wanted Jesus to be around him, but the woman had attached herself to Jesus. She had realized who Jesus was in his holiness who she was in her sinfulness. She had realized what her great problem was, the chasm that existed between them. She had realized what Jesus came to do, that is to forgive her of her, her debt that she could not pay herself. And she had realized how he loved her. And then that's why we see this lavish response from her. Simon was polite to Jesus, but not reverent. He was interested in Jesus, but not believing. He was friendly, but not loving. The woman, the great sinner, gave of herself and her goods lavishly. She gave of herself and her goods happily, and she gave of herself and her goods humbly to Jesus. Because when you have been forgiven much, you cannot help but to love much in return. When you have been forgiven extravagantly and lavishly, you can't help but to love extravagantly and lavishly in return. Simon was interested in the ideas of Jesus. She was interested in the person and connected to the person of Jesus. She was content. 
If you will leave me here at your feet, if you will let me wash your feet with my tears, I may be degrading myself. People may be looking. People may be wondering. People may be whispering. People may be talking. This is, could be viewed as a gross thing. It could be viewed as an erotic thing. It could be viewed as an inappropriate thing. I don't care. Just leave me here at your feet. Because she had been forgiven much by him. And therefore, she loved much in return. How do you respond to Jesus? Is your interest, is our interest in Jesus general or is it personal? Is it about ideas or is it about him? We're gonna sing a song in response. We're gonna change our the way that we do things a little bit here today, we're gonna to sing a song of response to Jesus. And I pray you would let your heart rise to him. And if you're not a believer, I pray that you would become a believer today. Please talk to me or Dale or our prayer team in the back before you go. And then after we sing together, we're gonna to celebrate communion together to remember the lavish love that he poured upon us, the extravagant grace the unmerited forgiveness, the great problem that we had, there was an extravagant solution. And when we realized that, there can't help but to be a lavish response. Father, I pray that you would stir our affections for you this morning through your word and through song. I pray you would help us to remember your lavish grace to us for some of us, will we see it for the first time? If we don't love much, I pray you would help us to see how we have been forgiven much. Let that flavor, that smell be upon our lives. That we'd be content like this woman, this great sinner, to say, oh, I've been forgiven. If only I'm just at his feet. That's enough. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.